We're going to begin with a meditation, so just taking a comfortable position wherever you are, closing your eyes. And taking one deep, nourishing breath in, holding it for a moment, and slowly, slowly letting it go, letting your shoulders drop. And letting the chair or whatever is holding up your body, do the work of supporting your body. Letting your feet fully contact the ground. And in this meditation, we're going to look at awareness itself and try to make contact with awareness, with our conscious experiencing, moment by moment. Really attending to the silences. the spaces between your breath and allowing your body to absorb the silent moments not trying or striving, just softening and relaxing. Letting go of thinking, letting go of problem solving, releasing the debates of your mind and using your breath as an anchor and finding peace in the exhalations slowly releasing tensions and attachments Feel the silences with your senses. The spaces between breaths and the spaces between heartbeats.
I'm just taking a moment now to appreciate that you as a living being are a conscious being that's capable of being self-aware and aware of others and aware of your environment and that this is a beautiful gift that you can use to bring a positive force in your life and for others around you. I'm just appreciating that you've taken some time out of your day to connect to this energy, to this state. Knowing that you can return to this at any time. And when you're ready, opening your eyes, returning to the space that you're in. Thank you, Tim. That was beautiful. So before we began recording, I was sharing with you, Sharon, that I've been thinking about that question that therapists love to ask uh, about feelings. How are you feeling? Mm -hmm. Or what's the feeling that you have about the feeling? And mm -hmm. what are the feelings underneath feelings? And um, that I think one of the ways to ask that question that may be more universal than asking about specifically feelings is what's feeling alive in you. And um, I guess I want to check in with you now. What's alive in you after that meditation or anything that you noticed uh, during the meditation for yourself? Mm, just an appreciation of uh, taking the time out, you know, to be quiet and appreciation of your pacing. It's very good, you know, really allowing for time to focus on sensations and space. So, my thought also, this wasn't a feeling, but my thought also was that Virginia used to talk about the space between, and I never really understood what she was talking about, but, you know, honoring the space between, the, um, but um, I think maybe it has to do with it that is the spirit, the self, separate from our parts, that has higher wisdom, higher capacity for love and acceptance and compassion. Um, hmm. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I think, well, the topic that uh, we were going to focus on today is um, evolving consciousness mm -hmm. through congruence. Mm -hmm. um, and there's there's a lot to unpack there, but I think to, yes, to the point to, that you're making about what is what is the space between things? Well, things are a form, and things that are not uh, that are potential uh, are formless. So the idea of I want to have kids is a formless. It's just an idea. When a couple. Uh, adopts or you know they get pregnant then then it's starting to actualize on that potential so the 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 living process is constantly 
there's this dialogue happening between the formless and the form. And um, the Tao Te Ching has been an important um, resource for for learning about this. And I think Eastern philosophy uh, tends to discuss the nature of the formless and the form. So, so the idea of compassionate energy or uh, the things that that allow us to transform something like uh, stuck energy of of uh, anger, an uh, emotion like depression. That I think is uh, some of the qualities of consciousness that we then use. Right. So as a in the when I'm in a role of a therapist, I'm bringing certain universal resources that I think all human beings have uh, that are specific things that I use of myself to be a support to someone else and it's like presence it's the profound listening that you were talking about last time mm -hmm. and we bring those stances and energies from within our body to the experience uh, through expressions of maybe reflective statements or mm -hmm. you know different techniques but the energy in my body has to really be genuine it has to be congruent and so this, I think this topic of evolving consciousness through congruence is really how am I using myself? How am I using the energies of myself? And I think initially from a place that is, is it needs to be formless because if I decide this is what you need, then I'm giving advice, say. Mm -hmm. And that's a very formed kind of, well, you need to get a job and you need to do this and da, 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 da. And I think most of us have had the experience, the recoil of how we feel when we're getting that. Yes. And, uh, so why is that? It's, it's like, well, maybe that form is premature and f that form is f like foreign to the person because they haven't gone through that journey themselves. Mm -hmm. And, um, cause there's, it seems to me we're dealing with two things. One is access to our aliveness feelings. The other is talking about the evolution of congruence you know, and how those two are we looking at how they come together or I, I guess it's firstly for me I think of congruence as the manifestation of um, the, the expression or the manifestation of consciousness of um, of the energy of the self the energy like when we talk about self-connection what's mm -hmm. Im what's important for me in that process is i'm not just responding from a pattern i'm not just responding from my ego i've connected to a deep authentic place in myself where my yearnings live right. and from there i make a decision i'm consciously communicating right yes. so if i i receive a reaction from someone whether it be through in person or phone or email and I have my initial reaction, which is normal and will always be there. It's then, how do I use consciousness? How do I use my awareness yes. to go through a process to evolve my initial reaction, which may be um, a feeling of threat, and so therefore maybe fear or anger. How do I evolve uh, through the layers of myself and through the layers of my mind uh, that that what comes out of me is really genuine, it's truthful, it's whole. So yes. it involves the, the whole of, of all mm -hmm. or as much of the resources within me mm -hmm. so that whatever I give in response to 
the event or the other person, I feel at peace about it, regardless of the outcome or the the next response from them. Yes, yes. Right? I feel like I've considered it. I've I've considered my values, and you know, the state of meditation I think is an opportunity to sit with experience mm-hmm. and to practice not reacting to thoughts and feelings and experiences and memories, uh, not falling into it. Mm-hmm. And what, it, what, so that's the awareness part. And then I think more active practices, and it could be like a self compassion, uh, or loving kindness kind of practice or a forgiveness practice or some, something like that, where we're consciously choosing a value of virtue and energy to combine with the reaction so that what's living in me can move exactly so i may yeah i may be stuck in something but if i own i am constantly creating my experience even but not in control of the event the external event or other Mm -hmm. people but what's living in me is mine and i can i want to choose to change that the resource of the fundamental resource of what's living in me is consciousness so what Mm -hmm. what does that really mean it's my ability to think, my ability to feel, my ability to express uh, through the many layers of myself uh, that allows that experience to get unstuck. Mm-hmm. So, I call it the pause effect. The what? The pause? Pause effect. Uh-huh. Pause, Which yeah. can be a nanosecond and you go, mm-hmm. oops, I'm not going down that route and be reactive. Or it could be a week whatever you need to yeah. uh, I many years ago I heard a neuropsychologist uh, talk about our reactivity and that he called it the rut theory you used the word stuck and that is that this is my picture is that if we have been behaving a certain way been reactive to certain things for a long time the brain has got this kind of like a fast track inside that goes that's the way I'm going to be and that um, it takes like you said so beautifully a consciousness to go oh I'm not going to go that route anymore I'm going to pause come into my prefrontal cortex where I can think mm-hmm. I'm not going to be in the reactive mammalian part of my brain and I'm going to uh, reflect. I may need to talk to other people. I may need to get support. Uh, But I want to begin to get out of that rut. And my picture of getting out of the rut is the less and less you go into that old pattern, the less embedded the pattern gets, the neural pathways get in the brain. And so eventually you've got a new pathway but it's not an overnight by any stretch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in terms of awareness, in terms of bringing consciousness to ourself, maybe one of the things that, that might be helpful to talk about is how do you know when you're in a pattern? How do you know when you're in a rut? Like what are, this, what are the signs of, mm-hmm. of that that we see in ourselves and that we see in the people that we work with right. that might be a telltale sign that I'm stuck in a survival pattern or I'm stuck in a survival role uh, mm-hmm. that's that that I could be empowered to look at to take ownership mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Uh, you know one of the things that that comes to mind is like is Virginia's 
coping stances. I think that's mm -hmm. a very simple, elegant way of describing. These are four survival patterns uh, that we can all easily identify. They're blaming, so it's it's all your fault, mm -hmm. or focusing on the other and not enough awareness of the self. Mm -hmm. And it could be quite absolute, like it's entirely your fault, and I'm I'm mm -hmm. a victim here. Mm -hmm. Placating would be um, it is the op it's complete opposite. It's all my fault, mm -hmm. and conceding and allowing oneself to be this, the, the scapegoat and taking all of the blame on. Mm -hmm. And then super reasonable is being very rational and not having any space for emotions. Mm -hmm. that, that feelings are such a threat that all I can focus on are the facts and of the objective realities. Mm -hmm. And then an irrelevance is, is generally an avoidance of all things, subject, mm -hmm. subjective and objective. And mm -hmm. it's a very ungrounded way of coping which could be as, as ungrounded as uh, dissociation or an addiction or, or use of substances. So those are, those are there, that's one way of describing the kind of patterns that, that people can get into. But maybe mm -hmm. using that as a structure, we could talk about what are the characteristics that if, if I'm interested in being more self-aware and being responsible for myself and my experience, what are happening in those coping stances that you've seen in your work Mm -hmm. where um, where people are falling into that rut, right? And, and maybe in, even in conversations where people come to you and they're, they're like a, a broken record. They're saying yep. the same things, uh, thinking-wise, cognitive-wise. Yep. They're stuck. What, what does that sound like? Uh, Most couples in pain can actually write the script for you. They can't get out of it, but they know the script. Yeah. You just get, you know, reactively hooked. When um, I've added in my own con conceptual thing around defensiveness that is basically fight, flight, or freeze. So fight has within it blaming, which can be it's all your fault, but it can also be blaming in terms of generalizing. You always forget my birthday or um, character assassination. of yeah. uh, You are blah, 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 um, or threatening or sarcasm. Um, or intimidation. All those are forms of fight. And then the forms of flight, you mentioned, you did a really nice job of talking about placating. Um, in some ways, you can also think about distracting, like, uh, you know, mm -hmm. you supposed to look at the news on the television rather than what I want to talk to you about. Um, and, um, withdrawing in my picture really emotional withdrawing is the, the people i've seen this is one of the hardest to get a handle on because both couples are in the room both parties of the couple are in the room and one person is saying i'm here but it's clear that their heart mm -hmm. isn't there mm -hmm. you know so that mm -hmm. emotional withdrawal uh john gottman calls it stonewalling right um, yeah and then there's the actual, literally, physically withdrawing and cutting people off. And that's a very sad pattern that I see with people that, you know, they um, can't work out the differences. So they cut their son off for, you know, a terrible long time or their spouse and they're living parallel lives together. So there are many forms of it. So then what happens if you're looking at a pattern? 
you may have somebody who blames and somebody else who blames back, right? And then they get caught. And it's, they just go round and round as to whose fault it is. Blame, blame, blame. Mm -hmm. Or it can be that one person blames and the other person placates, withdraws, distracts to protect. Or you can have withdraw, withdraw. Mm -hmm. You can have placate, placate. There's all different uh, ways that we put those core defenses together. And Virginia called it a stress ballet. Right. And that, you know, it just continues. And it may be that I start out as a placator and then pretty soon I'm blaming and then pretty soon I'm withdrawing. Right. You know? Right. So it's right. a whole series. Yeah. 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 Depending on how, like, what the, what, what's happening at a moment in time where, um, okay, if I, if I make a mistake, then I'm going to have to placate and you, maybe you can blame me. Once you make a mistake, we can reverse the roles. Uh, but it's still, it's because it's a stuck pattern. Um, the relationship people aren't uplifted. They're right. they're degraded by these uh, character assassinations. These um, character permanent characterizations yes. that yeah. don't don't allow for any kind of process of change mm -hmm. or process of growth. Mm -hmm. And um, so there's so there's something about consciousness that I that I want to talk about because it's it's two things. It's a it's an inner dialogical process, but then it's also a, a, a relationship, a relational mm. dialogue that yes. has to happen too. So it's, you know, when I, when I work with families and I, and I witness, okay, this is, this is the thing that I sense in them that if they could be aware of, they might express in a completely different w way so mm -hmm. that the lack of self-awareness makes it come out in a form that's very limited. So just, yes. just blame just blame. Yes. I'm completely focused on you. Yeah. But to, to get to the vulnerability of actually what I'm experiencing is when you do that, when you make a decision on my behalf without consulting me, I feel really undermined and I feel helpless and I feel very hurt and I feel like my I'm losing my independence. You know, mm -hmm. and that the, the full expression of that then becomes information in the space between the two people yes. to to really problem solve from a uh, from a powerful place rather than these thin descriptions of, yes. you know, this is, this is who you are and, and everything gets fixed. And really there's no process to be engaged. It's like the, right. the judgment's been made, so there's nothing to right. do. Um, and I think, th so that could happen certainly in relationships, but it can certainly happen within our own judgment of ourselves, the sense of a toxic shame that makes us rigid in our own thinking. Right. So this, this process of um, congruent communication that I know Virginia talked a lot about of supporting people to get past uh, the labels mm -hmm. is um, I think is, is really one of the most important things that, that yes. <laughs> we, we, we could be sharing or supporting Absolutely. people around. Absolutely. Um, so, I had a phrase pop into my head, Tim. Mm-hmm. It's all about processing the perception mm, between nice. each other because that's where we get into trouble. Yeah. You know? And people who live together, even more so because they're pretty sure they already know what the other person means. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And not checking that out yeah. really causes a lot of pain. Yeah. Nice. My dear friend, uh, Steve Buckby, 
says there's nothing so simple it can't be misunderstood <laughs> <laughs> i like that it's yeah. very true yeah. um in order to 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 check out the perceptions between each other mm-hmm. we have to decide that one person's going to go first yes because we absolutely. can't we can't do it simultaneously and then, so that's nope. where that's where a lot of fighting starts to happen because yep. it's I'm insisting that I need to be understood. So, um, so, so here's a very concrete question for you: uh, Who gets to go first? How do you decide? You know, between two people that are hurt by a single yeah, event, yeah, yeah. who gets to go first in sharing their perception? There's a whole thing of how to listen that we could get yeah. into, and right. uh, but but even in terms of the sequence of, all right, like um, we're obviously on different ends of how we experience what just happened. Mm-hmm. And we're in a conflict, mm-hmm. um, and if if they can both agree, hey, one of us has to listen, because <laughs> we can't both be listen, be heard at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what? So it, it begs the question. I can't imagine that that many couples would be involved to be able to say, okay, we need to listen to each other. <laughs> I think. Well, you know, yeah. More would be like the person who has a consciousness of, oops, I just you know, just went into that reactive place and shifts their energy. Mm-hmm. Because even even if you say, I want to hear what meaning you're giving to this, because I'm taking it a very different way. If your tone is still blaming, yeah. it's yeah. not going to work, you know. So it's that, ultimately, it's always about the energy, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the curiosity, if you can get out of your own ego and defense that I know I'm right here and be in a curious place because curious place is in the self it's a higher it's not judgmental it's open Mm. yeah well one of one of the things that you said in terms of getting out of your ego and not needing to be right that is very difficult that's difficult for me and I know it's difficult for a lot of people because (laughs) I I need I need to be right I or I am certain that i'm right Um, (laughs) and and then so if i'm starting from that premise it's it's well it's important that that's the fight energy it's important that i demonstrate to you that you're wrong yes that i have to win the argument Uh, so to get out of that i guess how how can we how do we release that that frame that sort of stuck energy of needing to be right so that we can start to share um, what's going on um, within ourselves. I think when you talked earlier about consciousness of values around reactivity, I think that's where it is. So if I can get myself recentered and think, what's my overriding desire here in this mm-hmm. relationship? Harmony, connection, whatever. Then I can step out of that. Uh, rigid righteous place you know I've got to win one of my colleagues used to say uh, that she wanted to work on stepping out of being right right and into compassion mm. wow but I also think being just open and curious could be a lot easier <laughs> a lot of time you know if, you, if you're that defended right at the moment right compassion yeah. maybe not but if I could at least open up and go okay I want to hear your your side of this right but I don't know, Sharon. I guess I want to challenge that, which is like, to, it's 
if if I started into compassion, then that might be that might be good for the other person to receive that energy from me. But we also have to honor, let's say, if there is a hurt in me or some kind of conflict in me, mm-hmm. that like that transition might be difficult to go right. Like that's an ideal. Yes. But I, I wonder if the ideal in in I'm going to shift from being right to being compassionate isn't in some some situations unrealistic mm-hmm. like because i don't th- i don't think what if something's congruent i don't think it necessarily sounds nice all the time in terms of what is honest an honest expression mm-hmm. so like if if something happens and i'm angry or i'm hurt by it the energy isn't going to be the gift of compassion out of me like no. i to me that doesn't feel like a congruent response it just feels right. like I've decided that's what I should do and that's what I'm yes. doing. Yes. Uh, but maybe compassion for myself is I'm going to express it honestly. It's going to be scary. I have no idea how the other person is going to respond, but here's the truth. And I'm going to, I'm, I will own my reaction or my emotions about it and my perceptions about it and not, not engage into name calling, yes. uh, all or nothing kind of statements. Yes. That, that's what I'll do in terms of how it's going to come out. Right. Uh, but I'm going to be very straight with the other person and say, this was my expectation and it didn't happen. And so now these are the feelings that I'm living with. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. hurts, sucks, and I'm angry. And to just be as honest as possible. But mm-hmm. I think in order to do that, we need to differentiate between the ego and the self. That when we're interacting in, within a family, mother-child, within workplace, uh, coworkers or managers and, and employees that we're simultaneously dealing with the ego and the self. And uh, we need to be able to give constructive feedback without hurting the hurting each other at the level of ourself. And that's difficult to do when the self and the ego or the self and the role are enmeshed. They're one and the same. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I think many of us, uh, and I, I come in and out of this myself, identify myself with a role or the outcome of the role. So if I'm doing a good job, if I'm working well as a therapist, then, and I'm, and I'm good and I'm worthy, then the feedback from the world that what I'm getting is good job. Mm -hmm. And if there's any kind of negative towards that, then, ugh, my sense of self-worth drops. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of what, what I've been working with and within myself and in my work with people is the comments about competency or about role have nothing to do with who you are or your self-worth at all because we're all trying to manifest and we're trying to grow so we're imperfect so just to kind of work with that premise and i think there's a security in that a security in a stability of yes i'm not perfect i am in in my role or in my ego i'm a constant work in progress but as a human being my value is unquestioned unquestionable Um, and and if we can live with that sense of dignity always kind of holding to a secure base of this is who i am um, and i'm constantly evolving and growing then i can listen to whatever the feedback is about my competency Mm -hmm. or about my role Mm -hmm. or about how i you know Yes. make a mess i make a mess in the living room or i could you know do better with my filing or whatever you know things that i i need to work on um for example in in my home life so mm-hmm. that those 
those things I can really receive and I can receive within my heart because mm-hmm. I know that the feedback is not an attempt at hopefully not an attack at my personhood. Right. Um, and yeah. So I think that that, that consciousness is probably a, a differentiation between self and ego. Yes, That's an important good. distinction. Very good point. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I think that's something, it takes time, but I think once people have even the concrete understanding of there's a difference between your ego, there's a, you're, you're not your job, you're not the amount of money you have in your bank account, you're not the things that you possess. Um, you know, we, we strive towards these things and we have a, an idea of success, but that's all for the ego. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just we have to protect our identification with the self from those superficial definitions uh, because, you know, and uh, things happen and natural disasters happen. And then what? Like you're, you know, you're alive, but you're not a self anymore. Like it, it can't be that tenuous. So to have a, a stable sense of yourself, but also to be able to relate in an honest, authentic way with other people and with our own experience, I think is, is really important. So I think it's important to say to people though, Tam, that if you don't feel that, that's not your fault. Yeah. Yeah. And the more trauma you've had as a child, the higher the possibilities are, it's going to be hard for you to feel your worth. The way I, I think about that is the ego encompasses all the attachment needs. The ego needs validation and attunement and um, attention, all those things, because as a young person, as a as an infant, you're developing that ego. You know, the first 20 years of your life is developing it. The first half of your life is developing that ego so you can mediate with the world. I have an identity. This is my name. This is my social insurance number. This is my job. This is my education. It's the development of that. Um, so all those those attachment ego needs need to be met it just so happens that it might not be met by your uh, your parents specifically or you know if they're if they don't have the capacity to meet those needs mm-hmm. um but it's still i still describe those as needs of the ego because okay. this the self is you're you're born with the self and you die yep. with the self. It's, yep. It is un it is unchanging, yes. because it's it's the life force yes. that let's say describe it at the spiritual essence part of us. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's the part that that continues to grow even through adversity, through you know horrific events and, yes. and contexts. Um, but it's never uh, destroyed. Never. It's never destroyed, and however, the well egos can be destroyed. And, and they can resurface how and through through nurturing the self, a new ego can develop. Maybe an ego that's more flexible, an ego that mm-hmm. has compassion, an ego mm-hmm. that can enact those energies that maybe weren't present mm-hmm. in a person's earlier life. Mm-hmm. So for me, the ego is like the fruit, the fruits of a tree, like things that manifest at the level of branches. And um, that's where transformation happens or the 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 outcome of transformation yes. happens. Yes. So, um, yeah, it's the attachment needs, of course, are important. Um, but that's, I, I separate that out from the self. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you know, I, I think it's a lifelong process. That's why I like the fact that we're talking about the evolution because it's just you realize more and more, you know, um, whatever your, as Virginia would say, favorite defense is, uh, how much that's embedded in your life. Mm. And then when you begin to realize it, then it's like, okay, I don't want to do that. And then it'll pop up somewhere else. Um, so I think it's a consciousness of, uh, how can I do this differently? And you may actually need guidance with that because it may be so foreign to you. Um, my, uh, parents both placated. And so I, I learned placating with a PhD level. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm constantly conscious. Am I doing this to make somebody else happy? Is this honest? You know, one thing, Kim, Tim, I wanted to say to you, when you're talking about being honest, congruence doesn't necessarily sound nice or pretty, but Mm. I really appreciate what you also said about it does not go below the belt. Mm. It's authentic with no name calling because I've been worried that sometimes people go, well, I'm just being honest with you. You know, Mm. the fact that, that, in labeling people and in in a way that's that's not respectful in my mind yeah consciousness is i mean congruence is trying to be conscious about putting all three aspects of congruence in the equation what does this what do i need here what's the other person need here how can i value both of us with respect and yeah. the environment you know yeah totally Yes. And I think, I I think the way, the way that I, um, think about that is whatever message that I want to give to someone else, I want to uphold the dignity of the self in that other person, even though the form there, I may disagree with their ego. I may disagree with their behavior. I may disagree with their, every aspect of their inner iceberg Mm -hmm. of their of what they're living with, mm-hmm. I, I I disagree with, and but if I can speak to that place, and I'm reaching for the positive intention behind whatever they're doing, whatever mm-hmm. whatever is, under, and and sometimes it requires a lot of digging, yeah. Uh, then, then I'm bringing consciousness. I'm bringing the the congruence, which is a balancing mm-hmm. between myself, other, and the and the environment and the context. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a continual work because. You know, when I, um, the last agency job that I worked before I went into private practice, I was uh, working on programming for social groups, social competence groups. And I created this act, this picture, and it was the hardest thing to do ever. And I made it an acronym. And what's the hardest thing to do ever? And so I'd ask the kids, what do you think the hardest thing to do ever is? And they'd say, ah, I don't know, like traveling to the moon or, you know, um, you know, hiking through the Gobi Desert or whatever, whatever they could think of. And then what I would show them is this image of, of two people facing each other and with two thought bubbles. And in each of the thought bubbles was a representation of those two people again. And, and the, the general schematic of it was the brain and the heart. So there's two brains and two hearts in any dialogue. Yes. And the, one of the hardest thing to do 
I don't know if it's the hardest thing to do, but in my opinion, it's the hardest thing to do mm-hmm. is to hold two brains and two hearts at the same time. Wow. And yeah. What a so, picture. <laughs> yeah, so that that's that's our challenge, right? Yes. Well, the, the third element that we're talking about is the environment. So we yeah. we won't get into that. But that's enough. Like two brains and two hearts. Uh, if you can hold both of those things simultaneously, mm-hmm. then that's that's really that's amazing. And I think that's our constant work uh, yes, within is. ourselves and with each other. And that's that's consciousness, that evolution of um, how can I hold so much. Um, right. And it's going to take time and a lot of practice, but and we're never going to get it perfectly, you know. I mean, yeah. like Virginia said, there's only evolution. There's no cure. <laughs> yeah, because you know, we're human yeah. beings, right? Yeah, yeah. No quick fix. No quick fix here. And I, can, I always think about all the years I've studied her work, and think it's like uh, each each time I revisit something, I think I get it deeper. I think this is like really fine wine. Somebody mm-hmm. one evening offered me some really expensive wine, and I went, "Ooh, this tastes a lot different than what I drink." <laughs> <laughs> wow, you know, there really is something to aging, right? <laughs> uh. <laughs> so this is all getting our fine wine going, right? Yes, that's that's a, that's a good. That's a good picture to have alongside uh, brains and hearts. Yeah. Then that's, um, <laughs> They're toasting each other with their fun. Yes, <laughs> that's right. I think if there's something to celebrate when two people, you know, celebrating when we can really connect. You know, yes. if I'm if I'm holding myself and my heart in in relationship to you, then I'm really meeting you. And I know that's something that um, you know Virginia emphasized a lot is is how she met people and made contact with people. Yes. Yes. And uh, and I think when we have an opportunity to really meet each other, that is something to really celebrate. So I want to end our conversation by mm-hmm. celebrating you and our connection and, um, yeah, just uh, appreciating the evolving conversation that we're, right. we're having. Right. So, thank you, Tim. So thank you. Okay. And uh, we'll... we'll connect with everyone that's listening next time. <laughs>